25. I consider that our present sufferings, sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the, crea for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first, uh, first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. As we come to the book of Romans chapter 8, as we continue to move through uh, this series that we have titled Survivor, we are thinking about various things of how God can sustain us and how God empowers us to not just survive, but also to thrive during the adversity and the storms of life. Today we're going to be studying from Romans chapter 8, the scripture uh, that you just heard read to us, and we're going to think about today the idea of our hope in trials, the hope that we have in trials. As you had your Bible open and you heard that scripture read, go ahead and keep your Bible open because we will go back and look at some of those verses uh, more closely as we spend our time together this morning. You know, the reality is that that our adversity, the seasons of difficulty through which we go, uh, even people who have the strongest of faiths will come to a point to where they will ask, when will this end? I mean, when will this season of difficulty be finished? When will I move through this season? When will this valley finally turn into a hill? When will all of this go away? What we seek when we go through adversity, and one of the things that we need the most is hope. It is hope that sustains us. It is hope that enables us to endure. And so the big question we're going to ask this morning is, what is our hope in the midst of suffering? And to answer that question, we look at this text that we have read, uh, Romans chapter 8, and we see Paul giving us the answer to that question. Now, I want you to understand that, that I'm going to approach this text a little bit differently today. There's not really an outline that I have for you. It's not point one, point two, point three. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, of teaching that has to occur. There's, there's not really any commands to obey, per se, in this text. Instead, this passage lays out for us a, a text that we can simply receive. You see, when you get to Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, we'll look more fully at that next Sunday as we wrap up this series, as we talk about our security in trials. But uh, Paul begins even to hint at that here at the very beginning as he talks about how we can have this assurance that we are in the family of God and how that assurance then gives us hope. He talks 
talks about in the first part of the chapter how God has given us the Holy Spirit as proof of the fact that we are adopted into God's family. And he talks about that aspect of us being adopted into the family of God where God becomes our Father and that validates our relationship with Him. Then right before he jumps into the text of our focus today, in fact, I want to—I decided late in the game to back up one more verse and to look at what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Paul says this, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see how Paul said that we are heirs of God? An heir is a child who will one day receive everything that the parents have. And Paul says that we are heirs of God. That's interesting. We're not heirs of streets of gold. We're not heirs of pearly gates. We're not heirs of immortal bodies. We are heirs of God. The most important thing you get in a relationship with God is God himself. We are heirs of God, and we are fellow heirs with Christ. Whatever is true of Christ is true for us. Whatever Christ receives as an inheritance of the Father one day will be ours. That is our inheritance. That is what we are going to get. And the fact that we are looking at that inheritance, the fact that we are waiting for that inheritance, that becomes our hope. So in between now And in between then, the time of our inheritance, we share something else in common with Christ. That's suffering, adversity, difficulty. Jesus was a man of sorrows. The cross must be endured before the crown is received. See, it is appointed that we, like Christ, will suffer in this life, but it is the hope of what is to come that makes our suffering worth it, and it's what enables us to hold on. Let's let's look back at the text that we have heard already to, to see the great truths that God would have for us to learn today. Look back with me in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying, whatever you're going through, as painful as it might be, as horrific as it might seem, as hopeless as it appears, a day is coming when your deepest pain won't come close to comparing with the deep glory that you will experience. What is this glory that we're waiting for? What is Jesus bringing with him that is so glorious that we can fix our hope in it? What will we experience on that day that will make our deepest sufferings today pale in comparison? And I don't have time to flesh all of it out, but but I want to take you and just listen to me as I read. I want to take you to Revelation, to to the last couple of chapters in the Bible. This is the hope to which we cling. 
where Revelation, for example, in Revelation 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Where do tears come from? Tears come from suffering, and there is a hope that we have that a day's coming when suffering will be no more. Revelation 21 continues, and John says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And listen to what Jesus says, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. When was the, the last time that Jesus said, it is done? That was at the, the cross, where at the cross, Jesus removed the separation between man and God. On this future day of glory, Christ will forever remove suffering from us. When you get to Revelation chapter 22, it says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. That the tree of life, the last time you saw the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. Its appearance again at the end of time reminds us that this day of glory for which we hope will be Eden-like prior to sin when sin and suffering did not exist. Let's see, there's a glorious day that is coming. The cross might be now, but the crown is coming. And the sufferings of Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 are but a small price to pay for the glory that is to come. Paul says in Romans 8, 19, back to our text, he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look, this glory is so great, it's so wonderful that the physical creation around us is longing for it. Paul is saying that the creation's personified eyes are constantly gazing at the eastern sky, waiting for it to crack open and for Christ to come with the sons of God to make all things new. He says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Don't miss what Paul is teaching us. He's saying that creation longs for this day, this hope for this day. Because of its current state, you see, everything changed when man sinned. Everything changed. In fact, when sin enters the world, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that cursed is the ground because of you. 
Creation has been subjected to the futility because of man's sin. But even in that state of suffering, creation was also subjected to hope. In the midst of creation's curse, there was hope. Just when God pronounced the curse upon the ground, God said, but I will put enmity between the seed of woman and Satan. And that seed of woman, he will crush the serpent's head and that serpent will bite his heel. Creation had a hope that someone would come one day and crush all evil and in so doing would restore everything that is broken. Creation has that hope as it looks to its future freedom that it will experience the same freedom that we're waiting for when Christ returns. A day is coming when the brokenness of this world will be wiped away. And he says in verse 22 that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So Paul describes then what creation is doing in the meantime. While it waits for that glorious day, he likens the situation of the earth to a woman in childbirth. But it's not just nine months. It is thousands of years of groaning. See, in labor and delivery, a woman experiences pain and discomfort, but she also has hope. She has hope because she's waiting for new life at the end of her pain. And though it's painful now, she, en she endures because she knows that life arrives after her suffering is complete. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul's been talking up to this point about creation, but now he says what's happening in creation is a reflection of the groanings of our heart. Look, just like creation, we long for this glorious day. You and I as people of God, we long for this day to arrive. It is our hope. Did you see that Paul called us the first fruits of salvation? Don't miss this. Is, this is, as older preachers to say, if this doesn't light you fire, your wood's wet. We're first fruits of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, they had an offering. It was called the first fruits. And that offering, if you can think about it, it's not that hard to figure out. That offering was an offering of the first fruits of their harvest. They got the first crop in, they would offer it to God, and it was asking God to bless what they believed would soon follow. Having, watch this, having the first fruits of the Spirit of God, it means that we have received salvation, but there is more to come. Ladies and gentlemen, what we are is not what we will be. 
What we are experiencing is not what we will be. Until that day arrives, we groan in the midst of this suffering, but we groan in hope. Paul likened it to how the fact that we have been adopted and we're waiting <coughs> excuse me, for the redemption of our bodies. It's something that we have received, but we have not realized. It's something we have already, but not yet. It's like that orphan who's at that orphanage and whose parents come and say that they will adopt that child, but there's a waiting period. That orphan knows that they've been adopted, but they're waiting for their new father to come and pick them up and clean them up. As believers, we know that we've been adopted, and now we wait in hope anticipating our Father's arrival to take us home. Because, as verse 24 says, it is in this hope that we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Paul says our salvation involves faith, a faith that what is promised will come. I want you to understand something this morning, the faith, the hope, that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is different from the hope that is postulated in this world. When the world defines hope, it's like we got our fingers crossed and we hope something good will happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Biblical hope is not that way. With biblical hope, there is no maybe. Biblical hope is an absolute guarantee. Biblical hope is the anticipation of an assurance that God has given to ourselves. Biblical hope anchors us. We can persevere because of hope. We can endure because of hope because the arrival of this glorious day that's coming is absolutely guaranteed. That then impacts how we live because he says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Because of this hope we have, Paul tells us how we should respond. We persevere. In adversity, we stay the course. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what stage of life you were in, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have hope. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have a relationship with Christ, no matter what adversity or trial that you find yourself in, my encouragement to you this morning is to set our eyes on the eastern skies. Keep your head turned towards heaven in the midst of your suffering because you know that one day that sky will open up, a trumpet will sound, a Savior will return, and he will make all things new. And when that day arrives, this day and these days of suffering and pain and trial and adversity, they will be over. And they'll not just be over for a season, they will be over 
over forever, and we can persevere because our present sufferings, as painful as they might be, they cannot even begin to compare with the future day of glory in the presence of Jesus Christ. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, a glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, a glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. You see the differences in the relationship that we have with Christ or the lack thereof. This day is a glorious day for me. Knowing that that day is coming gives me hope. It gives me a hope that enables me to endure and persevere during trials and adversity, not because of how good I am, but because of the fact that Jesus decided to love me. And I decided to make him my Savior. Have you made that decision? Do you have this hope in your heart? Because this hope, the reason it's hope, it's not an abstract thing. It is hope because it is a person. And that person is Jesus. If you don't have this hope, the best news that I can tell you today, if you don't have this hope, is that you can have it right now. It doesn't cost you a dime. You simply call out to Jesus through prayer right where you are. You confess your sins to God, and you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You ask Jesus to be your hope. If that's a decision that you would make today, if that's a decision that you have made, we want you to share that with us. If you've got a question about what that means to make Jesus your Savior, we want to be able to answer those questions. Even though we can't sit down and talk with you face-to-face, -face, we can communicate with you via email. We can talk to you via telephone. We can answer questions about what it means to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, and you have this hope, and that hope is now moving you to action. Maybe the step you need to take is to follow the example of Jesus by being baptized. Even though we're in this awkward time, we can still make that happen. Maybe God has placed upon your heart a hope, and you want to be used by God through the ministry and the mission of First Baptist Milton to let that hope be known to the world. Maybe God is placing a burden upon your heart to become a part of this church family. We want you to take whatever step you need to take, and we want to answer any questions that you might have. And so when this service concludes, we're going to invite you to communicate with us your decision today. 
We would love to follow up with you to give you some resources to help you take that next step. So if you'll visit our church website, fbcmilton.org, you'll see a link on the front page of our website about your decision. If you'll just click that link and take a couple of minutes to, to fill out the information there to let us know what, de- what decision you need to make, we will certainly be glad to walk with you through the next steps of that decision. So again, before uh, you, you, you tune off today, be sure to do that. Or as always, you can email me at jrussell at fbcmilton.org, jrussell at fbcmilton.org, and we would love to communicate with you to, to help you to know and to take the next step that God's placing upon your heart. You don't have to end this day without hope. You can have hope today. As we come to this time where our service is about to conclude, we want to take a couple of minutes to remind you of some things and to make some announcements that impact the future, uh, the immediate future that you want to be sure that you're aware of. Of course, we always want to be sure that you know that there are still ways in which you can give. We still are funding ministries. We still are funding missionaries, both here in our state and around the world and in our country. And so your giving allows us to continue to do that, even though things are still quite awkward all around us. You can go online to fbcmilton.org slash giving. Uh, you can mill your offering to the church office. You can even drop it by the church office next week as our offices will be reopening tomorrow morning. Uh, you can put it in the drop box. We'll have someone right there who is able to pick it up. So I hope that you'll take note of those ways uh, uh, in, in your giving. We are seeing some encouraging trends in our area. We're seeing some good signs for the future as we deal with with COVID-19. There are a lot of reasons for that, and one of those reasons is that uh, many of you have been heeding the advice of the experts as it relates to vulnerable populations and social distancing, so we're very thankful that you're heeding that advice, and we're able to see some good trends in that way. In fact, the data seems to indicate, you know, we're we're looking for a 14-day window. We're looking for this 14-day period in which we see a downward trajectory of, uh, uh, of the rise and the spread of this disease in our immediate area. And the data seems to indicate that we very well could hit that mark sometime next week. Again, that's it's not a guarantee, but it is quite possible that we could hit that mark somewhere at some point next week. Uh, that would in in theory, technically, that would qualify us by the guidelines we've set up to, to return to on-site worship uh, again on Sunday mornings only. However, I want you to listen and, and hear me very carefully. However, after conversing with our church staff, after talking with uh, uh, the, the leadership, that our, our deacon chairman, our trustee chairman, I've been conversing with other churches in the area, we don't think that Mother's Day weekend is the ideal weekend for our first Sunday back because it's going to look different. We'll be social distanced for several weeks in this sanctuary. It's not going to be you flip a switch, everybody's back to normal. And we just don't believe that Mother's Day weekend is the ideal situation and setting for that to occur. Therefore, going forward this week, We need to be sure, I want you to be sure that you know the difference between our church office and our church campus. Our church office is over by itself in a building by itself. 
That church office reopens tomorrow, but it has limitations. There's going to be signs on the door that goes over a couple of stipulations. No more than three people at a time coming into the front lobby. When you come in, you stand at a certain point. You're wearing a face mask. Uh, we got hand sanitizer there for you. So uh, that there's going to be limitations. But that office will reopen tomorrow. However, here's what I want you to really listen and in here. For the coming week, our church campus remains closed. Okay, the church campus remains closed for this coming week. And next Sunday, May the 10th, we will provide online-only worship service. Okay, so just as we've done, this is week seven, and I promise you no one wants to end the week's count than I do. But we're going to have a week eight, at least, Next Sunday, May 10th, online only. In the meantime, this week, you can rest assured knowing that we are beginning in earnest preparations to prepare our campus and our facilities for the hopefully soon return to on-site worship. But we don't want to push things too fast. We don't want to take a step forward and then for some reason we may need to take a couple of steps back we want to continue to wait the consequences of us pushing back another week or two is not going to be uh, that big a deal I assure you the consequences of going too early will be much more detrimental than the consequences of holding back so again take note of that our office reopens tomorrow with limitations but the church campus is closed this coming week and next Sunday on Mother's Day, we will see you online again at 10.30 a.m. Between now and then, I pray that you stay safe. I love you. I'm praying for you. I miss seeing you. But I look forward, as we inch closer and closer, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face -face again. As we close, I want you to bow with me as we have a closing prayer. Father God, we're thankful for the hope that we have in Christ Father, I pray if there's one listening or tuning in today that doesn't have that hope because they don't have a relationship with Christ, I pray today would be the day that they confess their sin, repent, and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, we pray as we move into this coming week, as, as things around us in our culture begin to, to slowly open back up, I, I pray that you would keep us mindful and to be good stewards of, of our neighbors and ourselves, to continue to practice habits that would, that would exhibit the fact that we're loving our neighbor as ourselves and that would honor you. And Father, we look forward to worshiping again very soon. So go with us now. Help us to be your hands and feet this week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, and we'll see you next week online.